Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, everybody. Hello and welcome. Welcome to our latest episode of The Secrets of the High Demand Coach. And I have yet another high demand coach here with me today. One of my favorite, actually, and that is Miss Jenny Katrin. She's a leadership coach, author, and speaker. Her passion is to cultivate healthy leaders to lead thriving organizations. She speaks at conferences and events nationwide, seeking to help leaders develop the clarity and confidence to lead well. As founder and CEO of the Foresight Group, she consults with organizations on leadership team and organizational health. With over 20 years of experience in corporate and nonprofit organizations, Jenny has a passion for helping leaders put their put feet to their vision. And I may add, does that exceptionally well. She's another one of our fellow scale architects, someone that I, I, I'm honored to rub shoulders with as we go about trying to help people achieve predictable success. And Jenny, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks for coming. Scott, I'm thrilled to be here. This will be a fun conversation today. It sure will. It sure will. Uh, I'd love to just open up with your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and a bit about how you got into coaching and why. Sure, sure. So, um, uh, as you said, I lead the Foresight Group, which is an organization I founded about six years ago. And it really was an overflow of discovering what I really loved about my work for the last 20 plus years. And I had the privilege of working in uh, actually the music business in Nashville. That was kind of my dream job as a kid. And uh, I spent almost a decade in that industry. And then I went into the nonprofit side, specifically churches, for about another decade. And the thread through all of it was that I loved helping develop leaders and I loved building great teams. Mm. And so that, you know, those two things just kind of kept surfacing everywhere I went. It was really, I loved seeing who are the leaders inside this organization? How can I draw out their gifts and their skills and their talents and then like yeah. help them achieve their mission and grow in their work? And then how do I get a whole team aligned around that mission and vision in a way that we see exponential impact. Mm -hmm. And so that ultimately led to starting the Foresight Group and getting to work with uh, leaders and organizations across the country on leadership and staff health and culture. I love that. I love that. Now, tell us a little bit about when you go in and work with a leader, with their team, what's the kind of work that you're doing with them? Yeah, it... A uh, couple different things. I have a team of coaches that are part of the Foresight Group, and most of them will do one-on-one -on -one leadership coaching or executive coaching. So they're working very specifically with that with that leader in the organization, typically mid-level or senior uh, leadership level. So we do a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching. I particularly love the team dynamic, where mm -hmm. a leadership team is recognized. They've kind of hit. They've kind of gotten stuck. Um, they're 
not having good conversations. They're, you know, kind of doing the same things, expecting different results and not getting those different results. Um, maybe there's some tension or challenges internally, or maybe it's just a senior leader who says, I recognize I need to grow and I'm not sure what's next. And so I do a lot of going in and working with that, that leadership team and identifying what do they need. And that's one of the reasons why I love working, uh, you know, being a part of the scale architects group and using predictable success is that we're looking at, I kind of diagnose where are they in the life cycle, look at the leadership styles of each of the team members. And then from there, we begin digging in and going, okay, what's necessary here to help this team kind of unlock their potential and move to that next step. So that's a big part of the work that I do. And then another piece of it is the staff health and culture. And, you know, I think that, that your staff, your, the team culture is really the linchpin between purpose and strategy. And, you know, so many organizations have a good sense of purpose. What's our mission? Why do we do what we do? And then we build the strategy. How are we going to get there? How are we going to make it happen? But that staff, that team, that culture in the middle of that is really what makes that possible. And mm. so often we see organizations and leaders struggling to, really build a healthy culture where you attract and you retain the best talent. And so we also go in and do an analysis of the culture, diagnosing what the challenges are, and then equipping that leader and their team to um, move towards a healthier, uh, healthier culture. Yeah, I love that. What ways do you see unhealthy cultures showing up right now as you're working with teams? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because so much has shifted in the workplace over the yeah. last couple of years that, you know, we've seen a lot of disconnection, you know, team members just not connected because they're physically not in proximity like they had been historically, whether you've, most organizations have not gone back to the office full time, you know, it's some hybrid version of, of time in the office together or fully remote. And what we're seeing is we're seeing culture starting to erode just because we're not in proximity. And if we're not in proximity, we're not building relationship. We're not in relationship. We're not building trust with each other. And so we're starting to see some the silos kind of expanding inside of mm-hmm. organizations. Um, some of the mistrust and kind of infighting, we're seeing more of that. Um, and just, just general malaise and disengagement of like people yeah. aren't enjoying their work to the degree that they used to. And my belief in that is that it's a lack of connection and belonging that's leading towards I don't have as much relationship with you. So I'm not as excited about getting on a Zoom call and working on a project with you because I'm not feeling that energy of connection and belonging that we have historically, yeah. uh, we've historically had inside of teams. Yeah. And so that disconnection piece, I think, is a really big culprit in erosion of culture right now. I remember this was pre-pandemic, but I reading that uh, of the top, five, like why people stay at the office, like why they're fulfilled in their job. It's because either they have a best friend at work or they love their boss, right? Those are the two reasons why people stay. Yeah. And I think what you're saying, like the pandemic's gone straight to the heart of both of those, right? Like building, you know, kind of there's A to B relationships, you to your boss. Uh, I've seen a lot of those just move to, we talk when we have to, right? Totally. Yeah. Everything became transactional. Yeah, exactly. And and even B to C relationships, it's even worse, right? So the, right. the ability to go in, start working at a new company, 
and meet someone there that is best friend material. Sounds super soft and squishy, right? Uh-huh. But it's it's just how we're wired as humans. Co- completely. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing to see. I, I also remember uh, first year of COVID, so 2020, uh, there were just these fantastic swings in job satisfaction. Like the biggest month-to-month leap ever, followed by the biggest collapse month-to-month ever. Everyone's like, yeah, working from home is wonderful. I don't have to commute. Yes. And then everyone's working from home and they're burned out because they they don't know when to stop working or they're not really ever working. So they're not accomplishing anything or getting the joy of, of what that brings. Uh, and so it's a new environment. Uh, and I think and I think you would agree with this. It's not enough to just manage the way that we did before. And so kind of in light of that, like what do you see teams that are getting it right do? what What's the shifts that they're making? Yeah, I think that I mean, i I completely agree with everything you said, too. It's like it's just we've had such an accelerated shift in how we work together that no, I think for employees, well, I think employers and employees, we don't really realize what happened because basically we've been just trying to figure out how to survive. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how do we actually keep our businesses afloat in a constantly changing marketplace? How do we keep working together with, you know, new work, work rhythms that are just unknown and foreign and tools that, you know, until two years ago, uh, only, you know, people like me who were on Zoom most of the time knew how to like navigate Zoom, right. you know, uh, consistently. And so I think the... Um, you know, the challenge has been leaders and, and, you know, leaders and employees have just been navigating so many different things that it, it's kind of snuck up on them. This issue of culture, it has kind of snuck up on them that they're not realizing that what I'm noticing is that we responded to the employees, uh, desire to keep working remotely, you know, so Mm -hmm. 2020 happens, we all have to work remotely we discover that, oh, there's a lot about this that we like, and we actually can be pretty productive remotely. And so the employees are like, yes, this is awesome. Let's keep this. I want to, you know, so employers responded with, okay, how do we, how do we satisfy that need? But what was happening behind the scenes is that we were losing connection. And like I said earlier, everything's transactional. Well, it's a lot of hassle to say, Hey, Scott, can I jump on a zoom call with you to talk about this issue with this project we're working on? Whereas if we were in the building together, I'd pop into your office. It'd be a 10 minute conversation it would, we'd chit chat and we'd talk about, you know, what we did over the weekend and then we'd solve the problem and we'd go on. But it's like, it's so much more of an effort to create the, the like deliberate action of connecting and having the conversation than it is when we're in proximity. So behind the scenes, this connection piece has just been waning. So to answer your question, um, the leaders, the organizations that are noticing that and are like aware of what their employees say they want, but they're also aware of what their employees actually need. Right. And, you know, so that sounds a little like, are you being, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, I don't know what I want to say, but just kind of forcing on your employees. Presumptuous. Yeah. yeah, Thank you. uh, Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So, but there is a little bit of that because in the essence of leadership, it's helping lead people to where we need to go together. Yes. And oftentimes that's moving people out of what they think is comfortable, but helping get them to a better reality. So I think yeah. the leaders who are doing this well are recognizing those two tensions. Hey, let's let's recognize going back to the office full time. That's not realistic. Like more flexibility, 
you know, people are finding new rhythms that's working for people. More flexibility is a win. However, what do we need to do in person? And I, you know, Scott, you've probably seen this because of, you know, different parts of the country, you know, re, you know, regrouping at varying to varying stages throughout the last couple of years. I noticed that the organizations that I work with who got their teams back together more quickly, now not back together 24-7, you know, or uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five, but they started a rhythm of, okay, we're coming back into the office two days a week, or we're coming back into the office for all staff meetings. The teams that started creating rhythms of officing together, figuring out those hours and expectations, doing team events together, they didn't, their connection didn't um, uh, erode as much as the teams who were distanced for an extended period of time. Yeah. I have one uh, one client that they will do their first all staff gathering this fall in over two and a half years. Wow! And we're we're wrestling with you know uh, a big a, a great deal of turnover within that team, you know frustration and and tension between different departments and different teams. All you know all symptomatic of they just haven't had time together. And new team members are coming on board with not a clear understanding of what culture looks like. And I don't fault them. It's some of the circumstances. But again, the, the, the leaders who are recognizing this and saying, hey, I've got to strike that balance. I've got to live in that tension of flexibility. But where do we need to be together? And then how do I make that really valuable? And that's the key, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if we're going to do all staff meetings together, make that time really valuable, like time you don't want to miss. Like you're actually like, oh, I hate that I can't go in for staff meeting this week, you know? Right. So the leaders paying attention to that are the ones who are yeah. doing a better job with it. Because even those who have done it have done it as an expectation. Like you worked here full time before. Like why you? Why can't you just be here for this? So I, I like that. Uh, I actually, uh, there's a couple of thoughts that have popped up. One was a study by Harvard. This is around the time. It sounds completely unrelated, but it is. Uh, they were looking at uh, the the self-check-in booths at airports. Uh -huh. This is when they first started implementing it and no one would use it. And they yeah. realized it wasn't enough to do the same thing, right? To have an automated teller. You actually had to make, made it, uh, make it significantly easier or better to do the new thing than to do the old thing, to break that, That's that really habit smart. in the patterns. Yeah. And so they actually had to make that process an even easier process than, you know, than just setting the bar at, hey, it's the same thing. You know, you, you were doing it with a person, now you're doing it with a machine. Uh, and the second one that popped up for me was uh, anecdotally, yes, I've seen what you've seen. Like the, the more that folks have come back together sooner, right? And again, not everyone controls that, all things considered, but those who got together sooner had it, um, but I'd only ever seen it anecdotally. Now in the church world, right, built around, you know, these large gatherings of people mm -hmm. on a regular basis, uh, just massive, massive changes in that world. But one right. of the bits of data that came out of that is those churches that, you know, for whatever reason, didn't stop meeting, right, or did for a very short period of time, had are virtually unchanged in membership. Uh, right. They they lost some people who are upset by that. They gained some people who are in favor of that, but it nets out. Yeah. Uh, those churches that closed and the longer they closed, the higher this number is. Those that closed for any, uh, you know, several months or more lost between 10 and 30 percent of their weekly membership. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's just a huge number, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's staggering. And yeah, and I think that's going to the exact same thing that you're talking about in a, a team dynamic, right? Is that 
there's so much more to meeting together in person uh, that you just can't achieve in technology. Technology is wonderful. It allows us to do things we couldn't do before, but it's it, it, for many things, it's a cheap substitute of being together in person. That's right. Uh, and it, it, it actually takes a lot more effort. So that's the, that's the challenge for leaders is that, you know, if we have to use technology and, and it's not even an if it's a, we are, you know, yes. again, most organizations are do, doing some level of hybrid staffing uh, officing this day, these days. And so technology is a larger part of it, but now we've got to figure out new habits and behaviors for how we use that technology to create those moments of connection or to build in opportunities where it's not just transactional, but we are helping people really see their place inside of the work we're doing. They yeah. feel purpose in it. Uh, that's a that's something that's come out in some of the data over the last couple of years is how much more meaningful a sense of purpose is in the work yes. we're doing. And yeah. so you're not going to catch that if you're not having really good conversations with your, your direct boss and or hearing it from you know, the, the leader of the organization. Yes. So there's a lot more purposefulness in that. And again, I don't, I, I don't fault, you know, of senior leaders, founding leaders for maybe missing this, because again, there were a ton of other major issues we've been navigating, but we do have to pay attention to it and it's yes. sneaking up on us. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's everything we're seeing in all the conversation about the great yeah. resignation. And even that people are starting to move around going, Oh, I just saw an article that called it now the great regret that people moved and realizing, oh, the grass isn't greener. Um, now I need to go. Now what do I do? And I think there's an opportunity for us as as leaders to say, hey, how do I really like lean into and engage my team in a way that they see purpose and meaning in the work that they're doing? They recognize how they contribute to that, and what are some of the avenues for me to make sure they're hearing that and, and knowing that yeah. regularly. Yeah. Yeah, because resignation or regret, you've got a much more mobile workforce, right? That's right. A much yeah. more fluid. And and if you've not addressed some of these things, and I think what you're saying is like, if you, yeah, there's a time when this would have been a very high, you know, a, a high, you know, luxury problem to deal with. Right. If this was the worst problem we had, so be it. But we've moved through the kind of triage of a lot of this uh, in many industries, not all, but in many and if you're not dealing with this, it's going to not only not be an advantage anymore, it's going to become a competitive disadvantage. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. Hi there, this is Scott Retirement. For over a decade as an entrepreneur, I thought coaching didn't work. I'd had some bad experiences with the wrong coaches and all that left me feeling like I had to figure it all out on my own. And while I wouldn't have admitted it back then, that was scary. It felt isolating and it left me constantly wondering what was around the next corner or when the shoe was going to drop. Then I found two great coaches and with their help and support, I discovered and implemented the predictable success model and my company tripled its profitability in a single year, adding over a million dollars to our bottom line. And now my team of scale architects and I get to enjoy the privilege of helping leaders like you achieve even greater results through our individual coaching and team acceleration programs. If you'd like to scale your business or nonprofit, boost your profits, build a strong leadership team, or even simply become a better leader with less stress, schedule your free 15 minute call with me at www.scalearchitects.com slash 15. That's scalearchitects.com slash one five. Now 
back to the show. Fantastic. Uh, it's, it's really, really important stuff. Uh, now, what I'd like to do is shift gears just a little bit. We'll kind of zoom out for a second because uh, you've done this work for a while, even before you were full-time coaching. You've just done so much around the world of leadership. And I would, I, I, I'm very eager to see your answer to this question. I know our audience is too, but um, if we were to say, what's the one biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret, right? What's the one mm-hmm. thing that you wish everybody listening knew today? What would you say that is? Yeah, it's, a, it's such a good question. I, I probably could have said what we just talked about a little bit of like developing your team is your great competitive advantage, but we kind of mm-hmm. hit that. Another one that I would say, I think this is the thing that snuck up on me early on in my leadership journey is that leading yourself is the hardest and most important work that you'll do. It's so true. And, and, you know, maybe that's not a huge secret, but I think the, I think the harder part of it is actually the discipline to do it. Because the more you grow in your leadership capacity, the further up you go the organization, the more responsibility, the you know, the bigger the company's getting, the the margin for you to invest in your growth, development, health, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you know, like all the dimensions gets it gets harder and harder to make space for that. Yeah. And it feels more and more selfish to make time for it. And that's the thing I think leaders have to perpetually fight is leading myself is not selfish. Mm-hmm. It's actually an awareness of, I have to be intentional to lead myself well so that I am healthy. I am thriving. And the overflow of that is, is health to the, the teams and the organization that I lead and yeah. serve. Yeah. And uh, again, I think we give a lot of lip surface to it, but I think the actual act of the discipline of leading yourself well I think is extraordinarily hard. And I think it's the thing that often trips leaders up. There's a quote, and I believe it's from Kierkegaard. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to borrow the formula of the quote, not the quote itself. But uh, I think things like this, like uh, uh, you know, leading yourself, are things that um, we've made very difficult to understand to make them easy to do right? If it's this kind of ethereal, whatever, then it's like, oh yeah, I do that, right? We just kind of mm-hmm. check the the mental box. When in reality, leading yourself is actually something that's very simple to understand, right, but right. difficult to do. To do. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, an example of this for me, Scott, and in leading my business is, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature with a very extroverted job. Um, I produce a lot of content and uh, do a lot of speaking and, you know, like output, so to speak. And that's always, there's always been an element of that in my work through the years. And so I'm, I've always been intentional to read and have some good reflection and quiet time in the morning before I start my day. But, you know, historically that might've been 20 minutes before I jumped into the rest of my day. Well, one of the things I found as I started my own company, that this is what I do all the time is. I need disproportionately like a a good hour to two hours every morning that is me reading, learning, thinking I'm a person of faith. So reflecting in prayer is like important to me. And if that gets squeezed out, you like, I am not the the best person to be around and nor do I have something to give. Right. So the, the self-leadership part of it is the recognition every day. I have leaders on the other side of a screen or the conference room that I'm coaching and I'm pouring into, might be speaking from a stage, might be facilitating a workshop, but I'm showing up in those rooms and they're expecting me to come prepared. They're expecting yeah. that 
I've done my homework to be able to serve them well. And fighting for, you know, and you know, this as a business owner, it's like a couple hours of my time in the morning is pretty precious time that I might be reviewing my PL, I might be working on my projections, I might be coaching some of the rest of my staff. So all of those things have to happen too. And so that's why I feel, that's why I say it's so hard to do because in some ways it feels like such a luxury because it's yeah. so life-giving, yeah. but the overflow of that is so critical. So I'm constantly living in that tension. And I think I think this is true of all important work. Uh, and as you're saying it, this is really striking me is when you look at something that's really, really important, uh, the folks who aren't doing it always ask, how can you afford to do that? Right. I, how could you right, spend right. two hours doing like not working it, now? You and I know it's not not working, but the question right. is, how can you afford that? But when you yeah. look at people who are doing it habitually doing it and been doing it for the long haul, their question is, how can you afford not to? Right. 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 And and that's always a hallmark I found of anything important, like really important in life. Uh, it, it seems to always follow that pattern, which is fascinating. Uh, beautiful. Uh, I love it. Okay. So uh, I've worked with enough coaches uh, to know that as coaches, we have a knack for spending our energy, our best energy on our clients. And you've just spoken to this a little bit, uh, but I'd like to tease it out further um, and, and see what are you doing to spend time working on you on your own business? And so take your coach hat off for a second, sure. put your CEO hat on with the rest of us and tell us what the next phase of growth looks like for you and, and the Foresight Group. Yeah, I love this question so much, Scott. And you know, you and I get other co- opportunities to talk about this stuff, and you're often coaching me um, because it is such a like the 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 running and leading the CEO work of a business, especially when you're also a practitioner in your business. There's just such a there's such a tension there, and the 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 migration of foresight is you know I started the company six years ago. Initially, I was a one woman show. You know, it was me kind of doing all the things. And then over time, I've added team members, I've added coaches. And the real push for me right now is that I am spending the bulk of my time working on the business and coaching my coaches and just taking one or two really key clients that I'm... Because I still need to be in the business from the sake Mm -hmm. of like understanding what's going on, you know, serving key customers and so forth. But the fight for me is to not just take whatever business pops up. And yeah. to actually like transfer that to some of my team members yeah. and coach them on the implementation of that work and really fighting for the space and the margin to be working on the business rather than in the business. And I yeah. know that's kind of a cliche phrase, but it's like, it's such a big deal, I think, as a CEO to keep elevating. And it, it's a risk, right? Like I was working on my projections. I'll just get real honest about it. I was working on my projections for the rest of the year. And I had a, I had a one or two retainer clients that dropped off mid-year. That was the plan. You know, we had we had worked the we'd done the projects. So it wasn't a surprise, but I all of a sudden had this like, what am I gonna do? You know, because I'm losing two of my retainer clients and I the cushion of that revenue was really nice. But the reality was those retainer clients were also consuming a lot of my time every week. And part of my plan at the beginning of the year was I was gonna let a couple of my retainer clients drop. So I would just be keeping two or three and to give me space because I've got a book I've got to write. I need to be out doing more business development and speaking, you know, just to keep our profile. And more of my time needs to be shifting to that. But then there's that tug of, but that's, you know, 
X number of thousands of dollars that I've got to make up in another revenue stream, yeah. either via the yeah. coaches or some other passive sources. Yeah. And so there's the real of it is that living in those tensions and really pushing myself that a greater bulk of our revenue is coming through other streams of income than just my direct work, if that makes yeah. sense. It does make total sense. Uh, it's a huge transition that folks make, particularly in the professional services environment. Uh, so accounting, um, yeah, you know, your insurance guy, your coach, your consultant, your attorney, uh, it's relatively easy to start one of those types of businesses, right? right? And, right. and get to, you know, get it out of early struggle. Uh, but then when you you look at it and say, hey, what's the business that's not dependent on me to deliver all the goods? Well, now getting that thing out of early struggle is a whole different ball game, and and yes. it's it's a challenge. It, it really is, and uh, I love the way that you're doing that because it's necessary. Is there is a a staged letting go, right, where you right, right. have to back away so that you can create the space for these new things to to build up. So I love that. Uh, there's a lot in that for a lot of folks, actually. Um, you know, in one way or another, every CEO goes through that type of a process. So I love that you were open and honest with that. Thank you so much. I think it's going to be massively valuable for, for some folks listening today. And on that note, uh, some of our listeners are probably sitting there thinking like, Jenny's onto something. Uh, I can attest she's an absolute rock star. So if you have any inkling that she might be able to help you and your team out, you're absolutely right. Pick up your phone and call her now. But what's the best way that they can get in touch with you? Yeah, simply you can email me, Jenny, J-E-N-N-I at getforesight.com. It's the word get, G-E-T, the number four in the word site, S-I-G-H-T. Um, so you can email me direct that way or just go to the website, getforesight.com and lots of resources there of articles, blogs, um, podcasts, um, downloadable resources, et cetera, especially around all things leadership and culture. And we love That's to fantastic. love to serve leaders that way. I love it. Well, Jenny, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I love that we finally got to hit record on one of our conversations. Yay! Yes. And uh, I, I wish you the absolute best. For everyone listening, thank you so much. Uh, again, your time and attention mean the world to us. It's such an honor that you spent this time with us. Uh, we appreciate you and look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com. And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.